Eitat this departure. This departure. Pura. Pura. Formerly. Formerly. Eva. Eva. Certainly. Certainly. Nirdishtam. Foretold. Foretold. Ramaya. Ramaya. Mailakshi. Krithaya. Krithaya. Furious. Furious. When. Pura, Pura, previously, Apavarita, prevented, Vari, at the gate, Vishanti, entering, Mai, as I, Uparate, was resting. Translation. By his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivinata Swami, Srila Prabhupada. And this is the Lord speaking. This departure from Aikunta was foretold by Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune. She was very angry because when she left my abode and then returned, you stopped her at the gate while I was sleeping. So there's no purport to this verse. So generally we carry on to the next verse and then speak on both verses. Next verse, text 31. Translation. The Lord assured the two Vaikunta inhabitants, Jai and Vijay, by practicing the mystic yoga system in anger, you will be cleansed of the sin of disobeying the Brahmas and within a very short time return to me. Srila Prabhupada's purport. The Supreme Personality of Godhead advised the two doorkeepers, Jaya and Vijay, that by dint of bhakti yoga in anger, they would be delivered from the curses of the Brahmanas. Srila Madhvamuni remarks in this connection that by practicing bhakti yoga, one can become free from all sinful reactions. Even a brahmasattva, or curse by a Brahmana, which cannot be overcome by any other means, can be overcome by bhakti yoga. One can practice bhakti yoga in many rasas. There are 12 rasas, five primary and seven secondary. The five primary rasas constitute direct bhakti yoga. But although the seven, the seven secondary rasas are indirect, they are also counted within the bhakti yoga system if they are used in the service of the Lord. In other words, bhakti yoga is all-inclusive. If one somehow or other becomes attached to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he becomes engaged in bhakti yoga, as described in Srimad Bhagavatam. Kamam krodam gayam. This is a 10th canto, 29th chapter, verse 15. The gopis were attracted by, to Krishna, by bhakti yoga, in a relationship of musty desire, kama. Similarly, 
Kamsa was attached to Bhakti Yoga by dint of his fear of death. Thus, Bhakti Yoga is so powerful that even becoming an enemy of the Lord and always thinking of him can deliver one very quickly. It is said, Vishnu Bhaktas Mito Daiva Asurastan Vipanyaya. Devotees of Lord Vishnu are called demigods, whereas non-devotees are called asuras. But bhakti yoga is so powerful that both demigods and asuras can derive its benefits if they always think of the personality of Godhead. The basic principle of bhakti yoga is to think of the Supreme Lord always. How can we think of the Supreme Lord always? Sorry? Chanting. By chanting his holy name. Exactly. That's why he's called Bhaktaraj. King of all the movies. <laughs> the Lord says in Bhagavad Gita 1865, which is one of the two verses in Bhagavad Gita that Krishna himself says are the most confidential, 1865 and 1866. All the other verses are either controversial or more controversial, but these two are the most controversial. I mean that controversial. What's the word? Confidential. Oh my God, that was a senior moment. Manmanabha <laughs> always think of me. It doesn't matter which way one thinks. The very thought of the personality of God is the basic principle of bhakti yoga. <laughs> and why is that? Even if we think something negative, like Kamsa, Prabhupada gives the example, he was always thinking of killing Krishna. So it doesn't matter how one thinks, Prabhupada says. Why is that? I know Prabhupada cleared that up because I just heard Prabhupada talking about that, Kamsa. And he was saying, but this is not Bhakti. Bhakti is under Bhuliyan and Krishna and Shivanam. It's favorable. Well, that's the point. Prabhupada did say Bhakti means favorable. Yeah. And Kamsa's was unfavorable. Yeah. So what's, so what's the resolution? Well, <laughs> there's different levels of Bhakti Yoga. So there's the Kanishta level, the Majjhima level, and the Uttam level. So the topmost is favorable. Kamsa was at the lowest level. Just like, for example, Bhaktivinoda you know, Thakur explains that we have to approach the, love, the Lord through love. Now, in the beginning, we don't have any love for the Lord. We come, we perform Vaidhi Bhakti without any love whatsoever. But he says that we do it out of a sense of duty. I don't have to do it. I could walk out the door tomorrow, but I do it out of a sense of duty. So, Bhaktivinoda Thakur explains that that sense of duty is the first step of love. It's not the same level as the Kofis, but it's the first step. So, Kamsa was at the first step. Well, that makes sense because in that Anakulayana verse. Uh, Sorry? In that Anakulayana verse, Guru Goswami is describing pure devotion. Pure, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Bhaktivinoda Thakur says duty is the first step of love, but it's not pure love. That's not prema bhakti at all. So favorable has to be pure devotion, pure love. So impure, you're still connected 
So this is their answer. Because we're connected to the Lord. You may be connected positively or negatively, but you're connected. That's why if you think of the Lord, even in a negative way, there's a connection there. So we see it as a negative connection. The Lord doesn't see it as a negative connection. He just sees it as a connection. <laughs> just like there was nothing good in her approach to Krishna. But Krishna found something good. Oh, she's approaching me like a mother, even though it was to kill the baby. But Krishna always takes the bright side, Sri Prabhupada says. He always finds something good in every endeavor. Oh, you're thinking of me. You're connected. So this way it comes to us connected. So even sometimes we may be angry at Krishna. We're connected. You know. I remember when uh, our godbrother Andrew left his body and we heard that he had died in an accident. We didn't know the details. And my wife went to Krishna and said, this is not acceptable. It shouldn't have happened. Why did you allow it to happen? She chastised her. And in the Shastra it says that Krishna loves the chastisement of Mani Shoda more than the prayers of the personified babies. So he doesn't see it that, oh, you're angry or you're chastising me or you're this or that. You're thinking of me, we're connected. So that's the thing. It's all about connection. So that's why. The very thought of the personality of God is the basic principle of bhakti yoga. Then Prabhupada continues in this last paragraph here. In the material planets, there are different grades of sinful activities, of which disrespecting a brahmana or a vaishnava is the most sinful. Here it is clearly stated that one can overcome even that grave sin disrespecting a Vaishnava, simply by thinking of Vishnu, not even favorably, but in anger even. Thus, even if those who are not devotees always think of Vishnu, they become free from all sinful activities. So this is why Vaishnavas are so compassionate towards everyone else, because even other religions who may denigrate our religion, but they have some connection to the Lord, even though it's a very primary or elementary connection. They're still thinking of the Lord. So the Lord sees them in a different light than we do. And they become gradually free of their sinful activities. However, Krishna consciousness is the highest form of thought. That's what we were just discussing favorable devotional service, favorable thoughts. Because kirtan means to glorify, and bhajan means to worship. So the, the worship has to be done with love. Bhajatam priti purvakam. And satatam kirtayantamam, yinjana paripashate. No, vitantas chartridamata. That even in any difficulties, we're always glorifying the Lord. So that's favorable devotional service. 
So Lord Vishnu is thought of in this age by chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. From the statements of the Bhagavatam, it appears that if one thinks of Krishna even as an enemy, that particular qualification, thinking of Vishnu or Krishna, cleanses one of all sins. So now let's discuss this. The cleansing of all sins. So there's two considerations that we have to analyze and look at to understand this completely. One is pop, which is sin, and the other is aparad, or being offensive. So Krishna doesn't see sin the same way that we do, but he's, and nor does he see offenses in the same way as we do. We see sin as something very horrible. The Lord doesn't think it's such a big deal. He's thinking of it. He's connected. But we think that Aparad is not such a heavy thing, but the Lord thinks it's the heaviest thing ever. In the ninth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, we have the case of Durvasamuni, who came to the residence of, of um, um, Maharaj, what's his name? Amarish, another senior moment. Amarish Maharaj. And Amarish Maharaj was in the middle, middle of doing his daily seva. So Amarish Maharaj didn't immediately greet him. Now, according to Vedic culture, Atiti Seva, a guest is considered as good as God. If a guest comes to you, it's like God has come to you. You have to stop everything and welcome him. So Amrish Maharaj was going to do that, but first he thought, when well, we just finished this last piece. So Durvasamuni noted, oh, look at that. Here I am coming and he's ignoring me. Now, just that thought by Durvasamuni, the Lord took that as an opera. Oh, you've offended me. It's not that he blasphemed him or he struck him or he, you know, boiled him in oil like you're getting Hashipu to Prahlad Maharaj. He was just thinking, oh, just see, so about that, he didn't greet me properly. So <coughs> the Lord sent Sudarshan Chakra to chastise Dhirmasamuni. Of course, Dhirmasamuni is a mystic yogi, so using his mystic power, he escaped. But uh, Sudarshan Chakra also has mystic power. So wherever Dhrumasamuni went, then Sudarshan Chakra was hot on his heels. He had a, you know, uh, uh, Dhrumasamuni had a tiger on his tail. <laughs> so he couldn't escape. So finally he thought the only shelter is I go to Lord Vishnu. So he went to Lord Vishnu. I mean, this is how powerful he was. He could go and see Lord Vishnu. Okay. He was a powerful yogi, although some of us may not appreciate Durvasamuni because of his talilas that he has, but he, he was a powerful yogi. So then he offers obeisances to Lord Vishnu. He says, well, please save me from Siddhartha Chakra. The Lord says, I can't. My hands are tied. What? You're Lord Vishnu, what do you mean? When you offended the Vaishnava. 
nothing I can do. Because when you offend the Vaishnava, the only way that you can be relieved of that offense is to go back to that Vaishnava and offer obeisances and beg forgiveness and serve him to show that it's not just lip service, but actual service. Anybody can say, I'm sorry to get out of this, to get out of a sticky situation, but you have to really prove that you are sorry. So I, I, I thought about this pastime a lot, and I realized that the Lord takes this extremely seriously. He cuts off offenders from his mercy. Jirasamuni was cut from the mercy of the Lord. There's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. You have to go back and offer obeisances to Mahamarishma. So I thought about that. You know, who's cut off from the mercy of the Lord? Everybody gets the mercy of the Lord. Every murderer in jail is eligible for the mercy of the Lord. Every rapist, every pedophile, still can get the mercy of the Lord, but not an offender to a Vaishnava. Think about that. That's why I realized I should never ever say anything negative about a Vaishnava. And I was speaking to my godbrother Ramacharya recently, Ramacharya, Pujari Ramadana. I've been in contact with him. He's always so careful, you know. I hope I'm not saying anything negative about anybody. I don't want to commit any offense. He's like so on top of it. Because we're cut from the mercy of the Lord. And how can we live? How can we exist if we're cut from the mercy of the Lord? So aparad is much more dangerous thing than sin. Because sin is due to weakness. We're overcome by the modes. But aparad is due to envy. We're not the well-wisher. And the Lord doesn't like that. Because we're meant to be the well-wisher of every living entity. That's the definition of a devotee. That's the definition of someone who's following bhakti yoga, who's following the Lord. I cannot be the I can't be the non, well, let's say not a well-wisher of someone and then say I'm representing the Lord. It doesn't make sense. Because he is the well-wisher, and I'm not, therefore I'm not his representative. I'm not following in his footsteps. So we really have to learn to be the well-wisher of the entity. And then later on, I was studying Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, not completely, but some of his writings. And something he said really clicked in my mind. He said, anyone who finds fault with me is my best friend. Now, <laughs> we don't have that mood. Someone criticizes you, finds your fault. Oh, you're my best friend. So I want you to understand well, what does he mean by that. So he gave some e explanations. First, he said, "Well, because then that person acts as a mirror to me. Okay, maybe you know, maybe I have some faults that he can see that I couldn't see, and this is an opportunity for me to correct those faults. So that's one reason why you see that person as your best friend." But there's another reason why you see your person as your best friend. And when I when I understood this, it changed my whole perspective on behavior with Vaishnavas. You see, when I find the fault of somebody, then whatever karmic reaction he would have gotten from that fault, 
I now receive that because I found the fault. And he becomes free from it. So whenever anybody finds my fault, come up to me and criticize me, I think, thank you, you're my best friend. Any other faults? What else can you find? Because the more faults he finds, the more my path is clear. But thank you. It just changed my whole perspective on it. So, and I try to be the well-wisher of everybody. If someone comes and criticizes me, I go, thank you very much, you're my best friend. Changes your whole perspective. You're never the person who has negative feelings for anybody. And this is the essence of Lord Chaitanya's missions because he said, that we should become more humble than the grass and more tolerant than the tree. How do you become more humble than the grass? How do you become more tolerant than the tree? Well, in the next line, he explains how. Amanina manadena. So amanina means I don't, I don't desire any honor or respect from anyone. So if no one honors me and respects me, I'm happy. I didn't want it. Great. No one's honoring me. No one's respecting me. This is the mood of Gorkishore. That's positive. <coughs> among others. But if someone does come and honor and respect me, then I say, well, actually, it's not me. It's my guru. It's Sri Prabhupada. He's the one who's deserving of it, not me. So that's Amanina. And in this way, we become more tolerant than the tree. And how to become more humble than the grass is Manadena. We give all honor and respect to others. And when you give all honor and respect to others, then you place yourself in the subordinate position. The subordinate position is our eternal constitutional position and it's defined as das, 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 amidas. So we're the servant of the servant of the servant of the servants. So in this way, kirtaniya uh, sadahari, then we can always be thinking of the Lord by chanting his glories constantly, forever, ever, ever, ever. Just like here the verses. Ramaya Krudhaya Yada. So Yada means whenever and wherever. Always, in other words. Now Lakshmi, she was angry. So there's anger in the spiritual realm, but she's always connected to the Lord. So that's one of the seven, as Prabhupada explains here, uh, subordinate. What does he say? Subordinate rasas? What's the word he uses? Secondary. Secondary process. But we're always connected. So all these feelings and emotions that we have are not necessarily Maya if they're connected to the service of the Lord or the service of the Vaishnava. So I could go on speaking more and more, but what, what, what time do we stop? Yeah. We have a few more minutes. Okay. So we should always be connected to the Lord and service to the Vaishnavas in a favorable way. So sin is due to weakness. We may fall down, but we can easily pick ourselves up and carry on. And the Lord confirms us again in Bible. Even if you fall down to the most heinous crime, 
the most abominable fall down. If you still remain connected to the Lord and carry on service, then sadhu deva samantabhya. I still consider you a sadhu. That's the Lord's mentality. If someone falls down in our Iskran society, we don't consider him a sadhu. In fact, we may excommunicate him. But that's not the mood of the Lord. I still consider him a sadhu because he's carrying on a devotional service. So we have to really come to the grips with understanding how am I representing the Lord? Because if I have a different opinion, different behavior than the Lord, then I can't really honestly say I'm representing him. Of course, I can honestly say I'm fallen and I'm trying my best if I'm trying my best. But uh, we want to come to the platform where we're actually representing the Lord because this is the parampara system and we have to carry on the parampara system. In other words, I I realized I don't want the parampara to stop at me. That it didn't carry on past me because I wasn't following him. I wasn't the representative. I have to be the representative so it carries on to the next generation so I can share what I learned with the next generation. And this is what Prabhupada told me in a private darshan that we had in Vrindavan in November 1976. But he summed it up, his last statement after, you know, after 10, 15 minutes or so. He says, so wherever you go and whomsoever you meet, you share with them this knowledge that you've received from me. They will be benefited, you will be benefited. And in this way, you carry on the parampara. You become guru. That's what it means, carrying on the parampara, you're the guru. You're the teacher. There are different kinds of teachers, but you have to be the teacher. And what he said was share. And I, I, I thought about that deeply, sharing. You have to share because sharing means caring. It's not that we're preaching. I know this and you don't know. You know I know what you don't. Sometimes we would want to cut uh, you know, we don't want to come off as holier than thou, you know, puffed up, because the Lord doesn't like that. Of all the qualities that a living entity can have, the one quality that's the most attractive to the Supreme Lord is humility. So the more humble we are, the more attractive we become to the Lord. And why is that? Because the Lord himself is the most humble of every living entity. Even though he's the most powerful, he's the cause of all causes. He's beginningless, he begins everything. He's the controller of all controllers. He's the most humble because he takes the eternal position of a barefoot cowherd boy herding cows and blowing a bamboo fur. What could be more humble for the Supreme Controller? Any other religion, they can't grasp this. They see the Lord as your powerful, almighty Lord. They don't understand this quality of humility. It's a, it, it, only by the mercy of the Lord are we able to understand it. 
as Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 1515, I am sitting in everyone's heart. And from me comes knowledge, from me comes remembrance. We're thinking it comes from us. <laughs> I memorize the shloka and everything, but you can cut it off in a second. And you just have senior moments. <laughs> so he gives us that knowledge, the knowledge that we're Atmatapra, we're spirit soul. The remembrance that we're his servant, das, 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 I das, the servant of all the Vaishnavas. The remembrance how to behave properly, offer all respects to everyone and not desire honor or respect for myself. So, anyway, one last point I could make that uh, here Prabhupada says, that a devotee once accepted by the Lord can never fall down. That is the conclusion of this incident of Jai and Vijay. So, I mean, that is as conclusive as you can get for this issue of we fell or didn't fall from my Gunda. Hare Krishna, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Any points for discussion? Yes. You're mentioning about, you're mentioning about Dharvasa Moody and you know, not only do you have to go to that devotee, but you have to serve that devotee. So what if that devotee is gone or even left their body? Yeah. And there's some unresolved issue, then what's our fate? Okay, this is the experience that I had in 1997. This is when Lord Govinda Maharaj departed. And I was there in Bhubaneshwar. They, they, they have these, um, the final rites. And devotees were glorifying him. <clears throat> and there's one of my godfathers, I won't mention his name, had offended Gordon Maharaj, banned him from his zone, don't come here and preach, heavy. And now Gordon Maharaj has left the body, and this devotee hadn't gone, and I begged for forgiveness. What happens? This is your question, right? That devotee fell down. Within a, a year, less than a year, he left the movement and he was a big, big, big senior devotee. So I would assume from that that if you don't love your basis and beg for forgiveness, you're in a very bad situation. You're on thin ice, you can go through it at any moment. So we don't want to be in that situation. We don't want to avoid that situation at all costs. There's another situation that happened to me when we were in, when I first came to Vrindavan in 1975, I was living there, and one of my services was cleaning the kitchen with another devotee. <coughs> Excuse me. So this one day we're cleaning the kitchen, and then we got into a discussion on some philosophical point, and he had his opinion and I had my opinion. So he stayed with his arguments, I'm stating my arguments, and we're both trying to defend our position. And it began to get a little, a little more heated. But then at a certain point, I realized, wait a minute, I'm in Vrindavan. You know, I, I, I don't want to commit any offense here. So I said, please forgive me, accept my humble obeisances. And he, he said, no. <laughs> I offered my obeisance. He just stood there and he just walked out. Uh, I never ever saw him ever again. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. You know, I travel all over the world. <laughs> so committing an offense, I mean, I didn't consider it offense. 
just like Amarish Maharaj didn't consider it a defense. But if Krishna, if Krishna considers it a defense, you're cut from the mercy of the Lord. That's it. Finished. So I've learned my lessons. Yes? What if, um, in that first story, what if the, after Guru and Maharaj left, what if the person realized his offense and then went, say, to Bhubaneswar, went to the Tirobhava, and begged forgiveness? Well, I was at the Tirobhava, and he wasn't there. But he, <laughs> you're saying, you're asking me to speculate? <laughs> I say I think this is what I think. My conclusion after meditating on this that if one internally offers obeisances and begs forgiveness and says, "My dear Lord, although I didn't do it, you know, when He was here, I'm doing it now. Please accept this. Uh, please, um, just like we say uh, this prayer. Um, what is it?" Um, I say the prayer every day and now I can't think of it. No, another one. Um, anyway, whatever I've done. Oh yeah, mantra hinam kriya hinam bhakti hinam janardanaya pujitam mayadeva paripuram tadastive. Although my mantra chanting is defective, my devotional service is defective, my behavior is completely defective, please accept it, my Lord, and make it complete. So we can pray like that to the Lord, and then the Lord can either do it or not. He can accept or not accept. It's up to him, because the Lord is swarat, he's independent. It's nothing we can do to influence him. But he may, if he sees that we're sincere, he could you know, reestablish that connection, that mercy. Now, I'm just suggesting my understanding, my realization. I don't know what the Lord's going to do at any time, place, or particular case. So, well, that's, that's the best answer I can give. Well, that's consistent with Prabhupada say, quoting the old saying, better late than never. <laughs> better late than never, yeah. Right. That's a good one, yeah. Yes, Prabhupada. You know what, that's already answered the question. But um, we were doing a, a Japa lunch, um, Japa seminar. Yeah. With the Prihat Bhagavata Swami. Prihat Bhagavata Swami. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, emphasizing you know, the importance of needing all the devotees to forgive us, all the devotees to forgive us for anything that we've done. So one of the exercises we did is we wrote down anybody that we thought, anybody we thought we had offended in our devotional life, and then to approach them, write to them, to find a way to rectify that. Well, Prabhupada told us how to rectify it. And that is that every morning, you say, By doing that, we're trying to nullify any offenses we have committed. So I always say that before I speak. You know, that verse is, to let Krishna know that you're really desirous and sincere and wanting to be forgiven for any offenses you may have committed knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah, I was just going to say through that process, it was really helpful, but still it seemed like you know, some, some devotees, you weren't sure if you offended or not, and so I just, I just had this realization that 
I don't know how many devotees, you know, in my life or my existence I have obtained. I, I may have countless devotees. How can I ever receive the mercy of the Lord? <laughs> if you're sincerely trying to rectify your offenses by saying this prayer and by your mentality and by your behavior and by your speech and by your thoughts, then the Lord recognizes that. I mean, let's face it, everybody comes with bag and baggage. We all come with so many sins and so many offenses in the past. And when we take the devotional service, the Lord can clear all that. This is what he says in Bhagavad Gita. So, all of your sins, I can wipe them away. means all of your sins. It means from the past, it means from the present, and it even means from the future. The sins that you would have committed in the future. He's going to wipe them away so that you're sinless. So, uh, and I only Bring me back home. Masucha, don't have any doubts about it. Don't be in anxiety about it. And when he says, don't be in anxiety, don't have any doubts, he's saying, trust me. So, we have to trust the Lord. That's called faith, Shraddha. We trust the Lord is going to take care of us in every situation. And in the beginning, there was a time in my early devotional service when, you know, Rupa Goswami says, always feel that you're protected by the Lord. And I was thinking, yeah, okay, that's all right for you to say that, but how can I feel that I, I'm always under the protection of the Lord? I know my past. I know my karma. I know my thoughts. You know, I'm not worthy of that. How can I actually reconcile? And actually feel that I'm always protected. And so I was challenging Rupa Goswami internally. I, I do these internal things. And Krishna says he fulfills all desires. So whenever you want to know something or understand something, you just go within and meditate on it for a while, and then Krishna gives you the answer. And that was the answer, 1866. Masu Jihad, trust me. And the problem is we don't trust him. How can I be sure that Krishna's God? Where's the proof? <laughs> so we hope that we're on the right path, but we have to have complete faith and trust. Everything Krishna says is 100%. And in this way, then we're completely under his protection. If there's any doubts, that's why he says to Arjuna, give up your doubts. Because in the very beginning, Arjuna had doubts. My memory is lost. I'm losing composure. My Gandhiva bow is slipping from my head. I cannot do this. And at the end, Krishna speak, you know, speaks to, to try to alleviate the doubts, of which Arjuna describes as demons. Doubts are demons. And then, at the very end, the final instruction, don't have any doubts. Give it up. Just trust. And then, you know, Arjuna asks many questions and raises up so many points in the Bhagavad Gita. And then at the very end, finally, Krishna asks the question. So, have you heard everything attentively? Are you now prepared to act according to my instruction? 
Arjuna <laughs> says, yes. Now I have heard, I have understood. Tell me what to do, I will do anything you tell me. And that Prabhupada said, that shloka, is the meaning of Bhagavad Gita, to follow the footsteps of Arjuna. Any other understanding is not Bhagavad Gita. That is the understanding of Bhagavad Gita, because that's the understanding of Arjuna, who was right there with Krishna spoke. Yes?
disappearance day, the same as we do every other pure devotee. Jananda Ki Jai. Yes, Prabhu? I was wondering if the gatekeepers um, went back, went right into the material world immediately, or they got hit earth and had both the demons disappeared. I understand the first part, but not the second. The gatekeepers went yeah. immediately into the material world, yeah. where they took earth and went through the human families, and then. Well, that's how you take birth in the eternal world. That's how you do it. They don't just appear. Here I am. No, of course they took birth. They took birth as Yuranyakashipu and Yuranyaksha, for example. Did they know who they were before? Uh, I'll have to ask Yuranyakashipu. I don't know his mind. I don't think so. I would, if I was to, you know, give my opinion. I don't think so because it's part of the Lila. And in order for the Lila to be true, they have to actually be in the mood of demons so that Krishna can fight with them. And it's not just play acting, but it's the real thing. So Lord Varaha, he wanted the real thing to fight with them. And so did Lord Vashinya. So okay, thank you very much. So now a very important thing, uh, very important um, ritual that we, that we do in Bhakti Yoga, and that is we honor Dwadasi and break the Kalasi fast. Kijai. Kijai. Guru.